0: Remain standing this morning as we read from the book of Revelation and hear this word today. We're going to start with verse 17. Excuse me, verse 11, my apologies. Then I saw another beast coming up from the earth. He had two horns like a lamb but was speaking like a dragon he exercised all the ruling authority of the first beast on His behalf, and He made the earth and those who inhabited it worship the first beast and the one whose lethal wound had been healed. He performed momentous signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs He was permitted to perform on behalf of the first beast, He deceived those who lived on the earth. And he told those who live on the earth to make an image to the beast who had been wounded by the sword but still lived. Verse 15. The second beast was empowered to give life to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and could cause all those who did not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He also caused everyone, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, and slave to obtain a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And thus, no one was allowed to buy or sell things unless he bore the mark of the beast. That is, his name or his number. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has insight calculate the beast's number, for it is a man's number and his number is 666. Also an area code somewhere. Chapter 14, just a few more verses. And then I looked, and here was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard also a sound out of heaven like the sound of many waters and the sound of a loud thunder and Now the sound I heard was like that made by harpists playing their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one was able to learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And I want to read to you one other passage from the book of Revelation here, Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked, verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels in a circle around the throne of God and as well as the living creatures and the elders. And their number was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands times thousands, and all of them were singing in a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and ruling power forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying amen. And the elders threw themselves to the ground and worshiped. Let's pray. Lord, we live in times that can cause us to fear and to worry. And there are many voices calling for our allegiance. Many are deconstructing faith and some to the point of renewal and some to the point of loss of faith. Others are raising mocking voices against those who would follow the Lamb. Others claim the name of the Lamb while acting more like the beast. (laughs) And God, as we embark on this short journey, a series out of our normal schedule on the end times and revelation, I pray that your wisdom and glory would be on display through your word. And God, I am a saint and sinner in process. And unless you speak, Lord, unless you move on hearts, hearts are not changed. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work today as you've already done, as we have glorified the Lamb, as we have sung praises of the King of kings, and as we live as citizens of at least two countries, but one of them is eternal and coming in the fullness one day. So, Lord, do it only you can do today. We submit ourselves to you and to your work in this house and in the smaller groups and discussion that will happen throughout the week in Jesus' name. And if all God's people said, if you're willing to, amen. Be seated in the presence of the Lord. Jesus was supposed to return, according to Mr. Harold Camping, a Bible teacher, On May twenty-first, 2011, that was to be the end of the world as we know it, despite the clear words of Jesus that no one except the Father knows that date, not even the Son himself in Mark 13, 32, Matthew 24, 36. And despite Mr. Camping's erroneous predictions, earlier he had also predicted Jesus was to return on September 6, 1994. Both he and his followers ardently believed that the scriptures, when properly interpreted, clearly indicated that date, but they got it wrong, so they got it moved to 2011. And Suck's predictions, Michael Gorman writes, are normally coupled with an escapist eschatology, which means the belief about the end times or the end things, and a mentality similar to what my college resident assistant manifested And he talked about having scares as a child in church. He said a colleague had a family physician in the 1990s who was such a devout follower of Harold Camping and was therefore so convinced that Jesus would return in 1994 that he talked ceaselessly about it and with his patience spent his free time getting ready for the end and eventually he let go his entire staff, fired the whole staff, resigned the whole staff since clearly they would have no work to do after September 1994. When I became a Christian in the church, the church I was raised in, the churches I was raised in, had a great emphasis on prophecy and the end times. I remember the one little church we back when I was a kid, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Come in 1988, different guy than Harold Camping. Jesus didn't come in 1988, or if so, our theology of heaven and hell needs to radically change because we're there. that was trying to be funny in the midst of seriousness. I'm sorry for those of you who don't appreciate my sense of humor or lack thereof. And then I believe the man wrote another book because he said, Well, I got something wrong, so 89 reasons why Jesus is going to come in 1989. Right now in our province, we are facing a vaccination mandates saying that you will not be able to enter certain places without proof of vaccination. And today I'm going to begin, I'm not going to answer or wrestle with everything today because you don't want to be here all hours and Wing already preached a great sermon so I'm trying to follow his, his thunder now. Um. But people are concerned and worried, and some Christians are are worked up about this and worried that is this the mark of the beast? Is this something like it? In fact, one famous pastor in Northern California, who shall remain nameless, said something like, well, I do not believe that vaccine mandates are the mark of the beast, but I think they are preparation for that. Things like that are being said, and other ones are saying these things are. I'd just like to tell you that since my short journey of a Christian, I was told that things like social security numbers in the States or sin numbers in Canada are marks of the beast. When barcodes and RFID chips in clothing in, in stores were used to, to uh, track inventory and reduce theft and loss, that was the mark of the beast. I've lived enough Christian life to hear all of these kinds, many, many things, and those of you who live longer could tell even more stories of this kind of thing. And so what we want to tackle and address here this morning is beginning to understand the book of Revelation, particularly this mark of the beast part and Antichrist spirit, which in fact is not in the book of Revelation but elsewhere in the New Testament, and begin to think about some different ways that people have understood, and the biblical scholars and those way more intelligent than I will ever be have wrestled with this as well. So this next few Sundays we're going to talk about these things, And wrestle with also what should be our right response on government mandates in general. Because, quite frankly, based on all the things I heard growing up, every one of us has surrendered to something that could be the mark of the beast. When I decided this morning, I didn't actually do this, but this is a thought experiment. When I walked down to I live near Duffin Donuts and I decided that it was time to go all natural. So I took off all my clothing and decided to go there and you know what? They refused to receive my money. They refused to serve me donuts and they wouldn't even let me in the store. Think about that. This one was from Andreas. I liked it. <laughs> By the mere act of wearing clothing and the mandate that you must wear clothing, no shirts, no shoes, no service. Or in Florida, it's usually no shorts, no sandals, no service. um, You are being enforced by government mandates. So we're going to talk about what is the mark of the beast truly in Revelation? What does it point to? And we're going to talk about some of the end times things. And I would like to just say this by way more way of introduction. This idea of the end times an apocalyptic or end-time sphere. In fact, the book of Revelation is called an apocalypse, which is an unveiling is actually the word. Say with me, unveiling. Unveiling, revealing. Revealing about the powers of the enemy, but more importantly, the unveiling and the revealing of the Lamb, who is Jesus. And I want to just talk about this, that There are secular end times theories. Christians are not alone in this, by the way. So when people roll their eyes at us Christians for getting worked up about the idea of Jesus coming again, there are end time apocalyptic theories too. For example, that point of no return where the robots and the computers are more intelligent and their self-learning goes beyond. There's apocalyptic secular theories that the robots are coming, they're going to take over. Terminator. And there's many versions of that. There's other apocalyptic secular theories how we talk about climate change. In fact, we should care about it. When we get into the stewardship part of our discipleship series, we'll talk about caring for creation. God loves this Earth, uh, and, and how you read the End of Revelation actually should impact that, our love of the Earth. But there's secular apocalyptic theories. It's all going to go up in a ball of fire and flames. It's funny to hear that kind of language come from people who are atheists. When I've heard that in my childhood. It's all going to go up in a ball of flames. Secular apocalyptic theories regarding our biological weapons or nuclear weapons, and some of these have a kernel of truth in them, yes. The capacity to destroy ourselves over and over again. Again, when the church I was saved at, we talked a lot about, oh my, this is good stuff, though. This will set the table for the rest of our series. We talked a lot about the end times. In fact, we had prophes- prophecy guys come through. And prophecies guys would come through and they would talk about, Gorbachev is the Antichrist or maybe Reagan was the antichrist, or what was it, Mulroney, maybe he's the antichrist, or they would name these names. I remember one guy so vividly in a large the larger Pentecostal church that he grew up in later, and he came in and he had these prophecy seminars, and I think this was in the late 90s, early 2000s, and he did some sort of uh, interesting gymnastics with the text, and he said, the Antichrist is most likely or right now alive, and he is a Belgian gay supercomputer programmer. I kid you not, he said that in front of a whole church packed with people about the end times. He knew, or he thought he knew. Well, I don't have time to unpack how much nonsense was in all of that, But again and again and again, we had these guys, and as a believer and as someone who has gone through deconstruction and reconstruction faith while still doing it in the church, I kind of got a little annoyed. This is a racket. This is an end times racket that plays on people's fears, that plays on manipulation, and distracts us from what Jesus and the true message, I think, of the book of Revelation is about. And I'm reminded again of Paul's words in Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. For the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Paul says this, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, John says this in his letters. 1 John, he said that the perfect love casts out fear. And so whenever we talk about end times and someone is claiming to be operating in the spirit of Jesus and the word of God, but it is fearful and it is manipulative, beware that I'm teaching you this morning to have a discerning heart about the end times as we dig into this text and spend some time with this in the next few Sundays. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Anyone operating out of fear and manipulation, you need to be aware of that. That is not the spirit of Jesus. That is the spirit of antichrist and he doesn't care how he gets you to bow down to the wrong things he wants you to be distracted from seeing and focusing your eyes on the slaughtered lamb who is coming again my apologies if I'm a little too fiery on this series but I am so tired of people manipulating with fear that is not the Spirit of God There's a right honor and respect in old English language when we talk about the fear of the Lord, that's different, that's awe, that's reverence, those are better words, but this fear that wants to get you to cower and to bow and to, oh, that is not Jesus, there's only one thing that we should be bowing to and that is the Lamb himself. This morning, as we follow along in your outline, I want to review the North American Baptist Statement of Faith on the End Times thing. So join with me this morning as we look at the North American Baptist Statement of Faith on the End Times. Would you read aloud with me? This is number nine. It's a nice, short, little evangelical statement of faith, and I agree with the things. So join with me about what do we believe, particularly about the End Times. We believe God in his own time and in his own way will bring all things to their appropriate end and establish the new heavens and the new earth. You know what I love about this? It admits that us Bible-believing Christians disagree on a lot of stuff in Revelation. But what we do agree on is that he is coming again one day, literally, visibly, and this world as we know it will be radically changed as the new Jerusalem and the new heavens descend and recreate the old earth and the old Jerusalem and a new physicality and spiritual uh, 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 medium where we live will now exist when Jesus comes again. The statement has more detail as well. It says this, this is the certain hope, this is the summary version, the full version is in your print outline there and on the notes online. This is the certain hope of the Christian is that Jesus Christ will return to earth suddenly, personably, and visibly in glory according to his promise in Titus 2.13, Revelation 1.7, 3.11, John 14.1-3. through 3. The dead will be raised... Ooh, I love this part. This is scandalous when you follow Christ. The dead will be raised. There will be a general resurrection when Jesus returns. The dead will be raised from the graves. All those who have perished will be brought back to life. This is called the general resurrection. Say it with me, general resurrection. And then Christ will judge humanity in righteousness, John 5. The righteous, the unrighteous will be consigned to punishment Prepared for the devil and his angels, and there's lots of debates on what does that look like. We're not going to get in there today, but this idea that there's ultimate justice and mercy in God. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and dwell forever with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. So again and again, here is the following along this morning. This is sort of the first words, the flight, as we want to take off the plane. And I will, obviously we're going to get through part of this today. I like how one church put it, with the movement of John the Baptist, and especially with the life cross and resurrection of Jesus, the end, the new age, began. In Jesus' first coming, the end of the ages started, and then we live in the in-between times until he comes at his second coming. But from the perspective of the church, the last things in themselves are expected mainly to take place in the future as the glorious parousia, the returning, the second coming of Christ and the future appearance of the Lord in glory. It is then and there that we will then have the fullness of the kingdom of God and experience perfect communion with Jesus as our soul yearns for it. And this is the height and depth of our faith and the wealth of the glory that awaits us. Throughout all of history, God has been at work in the world, and we believe that Jesus will come again, and this is our hope. We can talk more about that in the following Sundays, but I want to just get a little bit into the Mark of the Beast and then leave you with some application thoughts. The Mark of the Beast in Revelation chapter 13, 16 through 18, actually we read through 14, 3. Because if you understand this carefully, there's two marks being contrasted there, and this is vitally important, especially for the scaremonger preacher types. There's a Mark of the Beast and there's a Mark of the Lamb in Revelation 13 through 14. The mark of the Lamb is given to this symbolic number and most scholars believe that the 144,000, contrary to the Jehovah Witnesses' belief, is a symbolic number of all of those who have been loyal and faithful to Christ, who have pledged their allegiance to Jesus. If you have said yes to Christ in the wooing of the Holy Spirit, you have the mark of the Lamb on you. And no vaccine, no sin number, no wearing of clothing, nothing else can remove the mark of the Lamb. You are in Him. I've been vaccinated. It did not remove the mark of the Lamb. My name has been written in the Lord's book of life and I can rejoice. And in the face of persecution, I can join with Paul in saying in Romans chapter 8 that no matter what comes my way, because I have been sealed and bought with him and, and sealed in his blood, that whatever comes my way, whether persecution, whether death, even the loss of my mind, cannot separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead and my resurrected body stands before the throne, he will say, you are mine, my name is written on your head and in your hearts. And nothing can separate me from that. I'm getting a little old school, I'm sorry. Must be this building. We better tear this thing down. Oh <laughs> I know I'm gonna pay for that later. Save your emails. Andreas is now the complaint department. I no, was kidding. <laughs> Michael Gorman is one, one I'm going to be citing here, also uh, a, a wonderful author named Melissa Archer who's written this wonderful book that I've talked about again and again about uh, how revelation, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, revelation as apocalypse of a book of worship. And then also a North American Baptist scholar who taught at North American Baptist Seminary, who has passed away some years ago, but also and then taught at Regent and Carry, Stanley Grenz about the millennial maze. And we'll be talking more about this in the future, too. Good in-house, NAB guy, even, uh, of blessed memory, whose life was cut short too soon by cancer. In fact, his, his, uh, his wife has been remarried, and she lives in Vancouver, by the way. Um, Anne and I have had the privilege to chat with her and her husband as well. Harry Hiller. Michael Gorman, in reading Revelation responsibly, says this, I know of no reputable, reputable biblical scholar or theologian who would endorse that COVID-19 quarantine or a vaccine is related to the mark of the beast. For starters, or rather this is from Logos, uh, not Michael Gorman, but for starters, in Revelation, the mark of the beast is by no means a medical procedure, number one. Most likely, it's not even an actual physical or visible mark at all. Contrary to some of the more fear-inducing theories that have been in the past generated steam in some evangelical circles, the mark is not something to be accidentally taken either. You don't slip into the mark of the beast. There's an act of choice to deny allegiance to Jesus Christ and to give your allegiance to this beast. We might say as well that this beast is an end times thing and it will be apparent who the, the beast is global and there's two beasts who worship the power of evil, Satan named as the great dragon. So there's an unholy trinity actually in this passage as well, meant to mock the holy trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we wrestle with this, we need to understand that this is not what's happening on. I want to keep going and talk about this mark a little more. Are you with me just for a few more minutes to me? Okay, three of us are there. The rest of us, will, will have, we're having communion at the close. We'll, we'll make it uh, short and beautiful. The mark of the beast that's most closely tied to the beast is a mark of loyalty and devotion. So we need to understand the nature of the mark of the beast as well when this thing occurs in the end of times and when it occurred in the first century, which we'll get to in a second. That is a mark of loyalty and devotion. If you are worshiping Jesus and your allegiances there, it doesn't matter what they do to your body. You are in him and he will resurrect. And in the glorious resurrection, all of those things that are broken and diseased and torn down, we will receive new recreated bodies. That is the great blessed hope at the very end of the book of Revelation. 1 Thessalonians talks about this too. As people were dying, Paul writes to them and says, one day the Lord will descend with a shout and we will rise to meet him in the air, which actually is not all the way up into the air and then coming back. We're going out of the city gates, welcoming the Lord and bringing them, walking with them into the new heavens and the new earth. And he said, those who are asleep, who have died in Christ, shall be resurrected first, and there will be new bodies. My eyes don't work. I'm starting to, I'm getting old, friends. I'm getting old. Things are breaking and falling apart. All you young guys, it's coming. You just hang on. And some of you older guys have said, amen, preach it, you know. We are told there is a new body. This is a scandalous thing we lean into by faith. So whatever we've had, all those things will be healed. There will not be any more sickness, disease, or death. The mark is about allegiance and loyalty. I want to talk to you a little more about Gorman and talking about the Antichrist as well. We'll talk a little more about the mark of the beast in a sec. But this Antichrist term as well is not actually used in the book of Revelation or the apocalypse of John. The unveiling, the mark of the beast, most likely in the first century, hearers of this letter of John, would have probably considered it an act of, marked it not only with loyalty in the end times, but in the first century, it would have also meant like imperial slogans or seals. In fact, it would have probably also spoken about the coinage when it says they can neither buy nor sell without the market, but have talked about the coins that would have had the emperor of Rome on those coins. The Antichrist figures are those in history that bring persecution and or deceive, bring persecution or deceive. And again, like I said earlier, uh, there have been various figures throughout church history that have identified, uh, have been called Antichrist figures. Those of us from the Reformation and the Radical Reformation, our forebears used language like the Antichrist to refer to our Catholic popes, for example. (laughs) Way to win friends and influence people, right? Your leader is the Antichrist. Okay politicians for example we are in an election season in canada how exciting i'm an immigrant here i can't wait to be able to vote someday i have no idea what party i fit in because i just don't fit in a party um but we could name every one of those antichrist figures maybe it's justin trudeau and uh, the conservatives said amen maybe it's peter o'toole and the liberals said amen maybe it's mr Singh. that's nonsense right but throughout history Better make sure that nonsense part gets in there. Nobody needs to edit that, and I end up making the news, unfortunately. Uh, That's nonsense. Napoleon was named the Antichrist. Hitler was named the Antichrist. Stalin, Mussolini, Khrushchev, Saddam Hussein, JFK, Pope John Paul II, and a few others we could name throughout history. Now indeed there is the sense of an antichrist spirit and John tells us there are many antichrists that have gone out into the world in every generation. And that makes sense because we are in the last days from the ascension of Jesus until he descends and returns again. This is the last days. And yes we can wrestle with where are we at in that larger timeline. But at the end of the day if we need to listen to the words of Jesus about what should we be doing. Is it worrying and fear mongering or there's something else we should be doing. And in fact there is that he tells us in the gospels. Antichrist figures, here's another one from Michael Gorman, the identifications from the first century make perfect sense within the context of Revelation, but these historical symbols need to be plumbed for their ongoing significance, so Revelation has a twofold understanding, what did it mean to the first century and how has it been understood throughout history and then up to our time, so historical and then what does it have with ongoing significance, the book of Revelation. Together they speak of theopolitical, theology or, or the works of God and politics and megalomania or these extreme leaders and of any collaboration, uh, this is a thick quote but hang with me, of any collaboration of political power and religious sanction, civil religion, that falsely claims to represent the true God and God's will. He says, Eugene Boring writes this, the beast is not merely Rome In the ancient world, it is the inhuman, anti-human arrogance of empire which has come to the expression in ancient Rome, but not only in ancient Rome. All who support these cultural religions in and out of a church, however lamb-like they may appear, are agents of the beast. All propaganda, hear this, all propaganda that entices humanity to idolize, centralizing human empire is an expression of beastly power that wants to appear like the lamb to deceive. I'm a bit of an Anabaptist Baptist type. Whenever we start to put all of our hope in our politicians, this does apply from the book of Revelation today. We are susceptible to sort of this antichrist deception. Whenever we forget that the local church is God's plan A, and that we are called to be an alternative city to bless the city, and we give up our power entirely over to imperial systems, that's when we begin to be deceived by antichrist spirit, whether it's from the left or the right. Totalitarianism and total control comes from all directions. We are called to be a city, something within the city. We are called to be a separated nation, a holy people who are engaged with those around us. But yet, when we follow Christ, we are to be this unique entity, salt and light, flavoring the earth, preserving it until Jesus comes again, blessing those who curse us, not acting like the beastly powers of totalizing control and politicians and all of that. So in these other messages, they say, so how do we wrestle with that? How much yes do we give to the empires we are in, whether it's Canada or wherever we are? The book of Revelation talks about allegiance, talks about this idea that the church has a role to play to be Christ on earth until He comes again. Eugene Peterson talks about this. God's politics are opposite of the normal politics on display. In Revelation 12 and 13, politics... Of the dragon and the beast is all about the exercise of power through the manipulation of force, militarism, or manipulative words of propaganda of the beast. You, can, you will be assimilated, that language of empire. We are called to be another people, joy-filled, alternative way of being human. Propaganda exists in the book of Revelation to make evil look good. The demonic look like the divine and violence look like peacemaking and tyranny and oppression look like liberation. I gotta talk a little more about 666, and I gotta land this, because, well, yes. There is a technical word for the fear of the number 666, by the way. Can we put that on the screen? Here we go. This is a lovely word. Hexakosio, exaphobia. I murdered it, but that's kind of what it sounds like. You can Google it later. The fear of this number 666, and this number, by the way, what does this mean? And most biblical scholars tell us that it's a parody, in fact, of what perfection would be. And when we get into this weird numerology stuff, it's sort of weird for our modern culture to hear, but the parody would be 777, uh, would be the, the number of perfection, or the number of eternity, 888. And... Uh, When I moved here to Vancouver, I was told that's also a number of of auspiciousness within certain Asian cultures as well. But 666 is a parody of that. It's also part of the ancient practice of assigning significance to a mathematical sum of the letters of your name. Now, we're going to geek out just for a second. We're landing this soon, I promise. All God's people said amen. It's also this ancient practice of using, uh, uh, using your letters to represent numbers of a name. And this has led people to do all kinds of interesting number games with the mark of the beast here in Revelation 13. But the majority of biblical scholars would say it was used to refer to the Emperor Nero in his Hebrew naming of his name, reading from right to left. And we can throw that little graph on the screen. It's also in your outline as well, that this was Nero's number. So John is writing to the church being persecuted under the empire of Rome, Or to use older biblical language, all centralizing authorities have this Babylonian antichrist impulse. And as Christians, we are to live in the tension. uh, Romans 13, God uses the state. 1 John 5, 19, the state's also under the control of the evil one. We live in this weird admixture. And so when we wrestle with these things, which we'll unpack more in the next two Sundays as well, we have to wrestle with when do we say, yes, wearing clothing is not a a mark of the beast. It is a good thing we agree with our fellow citizens on this. We will do that. Social insurance number, generally a good thing, helps, helps governments, uh, you know, coordinate benefits and collect money from us uh, to spend on the public good. In the ancient Hebrews, they collected multiple tithes. One of them was for the common good. We have to ask these questions. We wrestle with that. So the mark of the beast originally was the mark of Nero. And some believers have, would say that most of Revelation, except for the last two and a half or so chapters, has been fulfilled in what happened after John's prophecy. In fact, Jesus prophesies some of the end time stuff we read. We have to be careful because he's prof- pro- prophesying first off about the destruction of Jerusalem that happens after his death and ascension into heaven in A.D. 70. And so these are things we need to wrestle with as well. Let me just give you a little more here. We've talked about the the 144,000, this idea of the mark of Jesus, this idea of God having sealed us and the lamb. The mark of the beast is told about this control of commerce, but we're also learning that this is temporary and in this passage as well because it contrasts with those that have the mark of the lamb and that in fact, no matter what the beast does, these folks have been set aside by the work of the Lord. And these folks mean all of those who follow Christ. It is meant to be represent all of the alternative community of those who have the mark of the Lamb in these end times. There's more I would want to say, and I'm going to pick up with that next Sunday on just going through verse by verse part of these uh, Revelation 13. But I just want to say this other thing about these passages. As the followers of the beast, we see here in Revelation 13 and 14, sing hymns, demonic hymns to the beast... We're told that those of the followers of the Lamb receive this new song and before the throne of God with the living creatures and the elders in heaven. We're told here that, again, there is a contrast between the two marks and which one are you marked with is kind of the question we want to ask ourselves in this particular passage. I find it interesting that there are demonic hymns and there's the new song. That's a whole other thing about worship throughout the book of Revelation. It brings up lots of interesting things about how we worship and why we worship. I'm going to talk a little more about that next Sunday because there's some good stuff I want to unpack there. But refusal to worship the beast. Hear me here. Refusal to worship the beast. Putting our hope in these centralizing imperial powers, whatever shape they take, and whatever generation we find ourselves from Jesus' ascension into heaven till his coming again. Refusal to worship the beast is the church's primary means of resistance. And the reward is access to the words of the new song of the Lamb. The hearers who heard this in the first century are presented with two choices, an overwhelming empire that practiced pax et Securitas, the peace and security of the empire, which was sort of one of those deceptive propaganda lines. The peace and security of Rome meant that you will be assimilated or you will die by the sword. You will agree with us or you will die. That's the peace and security of empire, right? And we see these beast-like tendencies within governments. We see these beast-like tendencies in those places, but we need to be careful that we're not naming every little thing something of the beast. Some of it is for the common good, Romans 13. And we need to wrestle with that. Somebody wants to ask today, do I think there should be mandates for vaccination? I don't think so. I mean, personally, politically, I think it should be up to individual choice. But then this whole thing of whether or not you can do this or that, you're already submitted to all kinds of marks. Take off your clothes and try to go into a restaurant this afternoon. Mark of the beast. Guarantee you they will not let you in. think about it how silly this can be when we are not discerning people right i mean some of you that have been listening to some of those hellfire preachers that want to you know drive you by false fear you know are they talking about wearing clothing what about your sin number what about your retirement benefits what about the roads you drove in today what about the power that's running this building this morning are those all marks of the beast and this is where those that are fear mongers in the house of God really get me riled up because I grew up with so much of that. The Antichrist is this person, the Antichrist is that person, this and that, and people that would use it to fleece the sheep and the people of God and, 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 and use that to fleece, I, that just drives me batty. But let us learn about the book, and again, we're going to dig more into it in the next two Sundays about this book and what is being said here. I guess I want to end by saying this. And we'll come back around to some of this next Sunday and go a little deeper to land the plane this morning. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb. And for those of you that are new to this, the Lamb in Revelation is Jesus. For those of you that are new or considering Christianity, the image of Jesus in the final end of all things and the new thing that's going to come is the Lamb. And he's portrayed initially as this warrior. He's coming and riding on a horse and it has he has a tattoo on his thigh that says, Kings of kings and Lord of lords. And he has a sword in his hand. And there's this militant image of God returning. And all of us who have been conservative and excited, and, well, some of you anyway, and those of you that believe in the power of empire is all, we're like, yes, Jesus is coming back to kick rear and take. Names and give us all the t-shirt. But then something happens. The blood that is around, we are told, that militant figure is transformed before them into a slaughtered lamb. And that the blood that is spilled is not that of the enemy, but it is his own blood. It is the upside down message of the Jesus way of being human that we let he on the cross absorbs all time the violence, the sin, the brokenness, the killing of God that we do again and again and again and this mighty warrior is transformed into the slaughtered lamb and it is the one who is the lamb whose his blood was slain for his enemies and for all people everywhere in time backwards and forwards slain from the foundations of the very creation is the one who compels worship and he is the one who is calling you this morning, will you worship the one who is worthy of worship, who has given all for you and all humanity? John says in heaven there were seven seals and scrolls, more imagery of words and prophecies, and when they got to the seventh one, he said there was no one found in heaven and on earth worthy to open the seal. And he says this, and there was weeping in heaven because no one could open this final message. But then I heard a voice, a full name Megalon, a loud voice. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And everyone fell down and worshipped in a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive wisdom and power and riches and glory. And that is the Lamb who is calling us today. I'm less concerned about the mark of the beast and I'm more concerned about the mark of the lamb. Have you given your life to the lamb today? Because that is your insurance against the work of the beast in whatever shape or form the beast-like powers come. If you're marked with the lamb, you cannot be marked by the beast. Have you given your allegiance to the lamb? I'm going to just end with that point because the other two we'll talk about next Sunday in in final application. The return of the king and being ready. What does it mean to be ready? What should we do in the face of these kinds of things? Now, some of you are going to leave this sermon and you're going to be like, well, you didn't answer all my questions, pastor. You're right because some of them you need to discern and use the God-given wisdom he's given you. Should I get vaccinated or not? Do you have certain kind of allergies? I'm not a medical professional. I don't want to speak to that. I'm one who spends his time reading and studying about the Bible and the life of the church and organizations and how the church functions. You need to wrestle with that. I think we need to wrestle with and constantly ask when governments put mandates on it, where does it fit in the spectrum of Romans 13 to 1 John 5, 19? Are they asking us to deny Christ? Remember, this mark of the beast is about allegiance to the beast. I would say that the vaccine in no way could be construed to see this as calling you to have allegiance to the beast. It's about, at, at most, we could say it's allegiance to public health. Woo! So are your clothes. Keep them on, you know? So we need to wrestle with that. We need to be discerning. We need to be wise because there's lots of scaremongers outside of the church and inside of the church. We need to really think through this. You don't have to agree with me, by the way. This is Baptist church. We don't agree with ourselves within our own minds most days, right? But I do want you to think more deeply about what's going on in the book of Revelation. We're going to unpack more of the end time stuff in the next two weeks. But this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to receive communion together. And we're going to pray and then do that. If you're able to, stand with me. And hopefully you all received a communion packet as you came in this morning. If not, I don't know if Tyler and Claire can kind of walk up and down the aisles that if anyone wants one. But I pause the message this morning to take it up again next Sunday with this one application question. Have you been marked by the Lamb? Have you said yes to Jesus? And I don't want you to ever become a Christian, by the way, out of fear of manipulation. And this is a fine line to walk when we're reading Apocalypse, which has all of this amazing imagery. So hear me carefully when I say this. If this is not your day, the Holy Spirit's working on you, but you're not ready to say yes to Jesus, that's okay. In the church I grew up in, the evangelist would follow up with me with something like, and you don't know if you're going to get hit by a car the minute you leave this building. (laughs) We know that. We all know that death could come at any time. But the Lamb woos us and draws us. The the image of the crucified lamb is not an image of power in the human or satanic sense of power. It's an image of a God who risks a creation that he loves so much that he's willing to even take on the risk that he gives us in misusing the freedom, that he's willing to take that back in himself. The lamb draws you and calls you and says, if you put your allegiance to me first... You're going to ground your life in the most clear, outrageous form of love ever that has ever been. You're going to ground your life in a God who is love. A God who transforms swords into plowshares. And so this morning I ask of you, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, And some of this you don't understand, that's okay, you can go back and listen, and we're going to unpack more in the next two weeks as well. But you're understanding enough to say, I want to believe in order to understand, I want to believe in order to take the next step. I'm going to invite everyone, if you're willing to, you don't have to, but if you're willing to, to kind of take a prayer posture, maybe you want to close your eyes or bow your heads. but if you're in this room this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything like that, but if you're in this room this morning and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, maybe today is the day for you to be marked by the Lamb. It's very simple, and then it's not because it's your whole life, and it's God who's infinite. He says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved that naming, calling means allegiance. Jesus, I sense your spirit that you are alive. And I sense that this earth is not all there is. And that something else is going to happen to this earth. And you are the best story I've heard. So I want to put my life and link it with yours. I admit, I believe, I confess my allegiance to you. And I turn to you. In this holy and sacred moment, if that's you this morning, Jesus hears your words. If you want to pray with me or anyone you see leading up here afterwards to have some follow up with that, please do so. But that's your beginning to believe, to name the Lord Jesus Christ, and to begin that journey of I am saved from the beast. I am being saved and I will be saved in the end. So Lord, thank you for your work this morning. As we wrestle with this mark of the beast, as we wrestle with the Antichrist, as we wrestle with how to read the book of Revelation responsibly, expand our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.